I had a great night last night. Um, Jennifer and I, we went, uh, one of my favorite groups is the Avet Brothers. And so they actually performed in Greenville last night. So Jennifer and I, we went and saw them. Um, and you know, I just, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy their music. It's fun, I, you know, I feel like it's almost poetic in some, some ways, which sounds, yeah, I mean, with Bob Dylan winning a uh, Nobel Prize for literature, uh, I feel like you know it, it sort of reinforces my my feelings of music, where it is sort of poetry now. But um, you know what? I, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation about running the race. And you know, for me, this has been a very helpful lesson, uh, our series, in thinking about uh, several things. Uh, as far as, as what does this mean for us with our, our spiritual life as to running the race? Um, you know, I think uh, some of the things that have been really helpful is just the reminder of just slowing down, just, just being. You know, we think about race, we think about how we get caught in the race, and sometimes it's important for us just to be, you know, just to be sometimes, be still. Uh, as Keith was saying earlier, how just reminding ourselves and thinking about that, what does it mean that we cannot be any closer to God than we are right now? Uh, just giving that some thought. And then even, you know, the, the point of, you know, the doctrine, the gospel we believe uh, determines the disciples that we are. I think, I think this, is, um, this has been a very helpful, uh, as far as Sundays are concerned. And then for Wednesdays, you know, I've personally, I've been encouraged to be able to have conversations about topics that growing up, I felt very uncomfortable having. Uh, talking about things and presenting things. And I'm looking forward to continuing those conversations over the next few weeks. So today, what we're going to be talking about is running the race and encouraging one another. You know, I think when we talk about encouraging, and especially when we're talking about running the race, this is something that is important for us to consider and important for us to think about. Um, You know, when I think about encouraging one another, I actually think about some conversations that I've had with Ben um, last year. (laughs) Yeah, no, so, so last year, uh, what I, I run um, sprint triathlons, and for me, the reason why I do it is really it, it helps me to uh, be active, and I can't run repeatedly. I, I can't bike repeatedly. I don't have enough time to go for long bike rides, and I cannot swim repeatedly. So for me, when I look at my week, it's like, okay, I can swim once a week, uh, I can bike once or twice a week, and then I can run once or twice a week. So I'm like, this is perfect for me. And the distances, they're challenging. You have to, you have to prepare for it, but um, it's, not, it's not so overwhelming. But one of the things is when you do these races, and for any of you that have done those, and I'm not sure if they do these for the marathons, but when you, when you go and you register, what they do is they'll write your, your group on one side of your leg, and then they write your age on the other side of your leg. <laughs> So you're there, and you're looking, and you're like, okay. Like, you, and I mean, you, you are running against 22-year-olds, and you're running against 55-year-olds. And so as you're going in the race, you, know, you do your swim first, and you, know, you don't see anybody. You're just trying not to get knocked in the head. But then you do your bike. So when you get on the bike, you know, you're sitting there, and I mean, you're starting to pedal, and you see, like, you, you, know, you get some excitement because you're passing these you know, 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. You know, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm like, yeah. I got this. But then you have the 55-year-old or the 60-year-old passing you. 
And you're like, oh, man. Or you have the, the women passing you, and, and you're like, oh, oh, come on, man. But, but the part that rubs you the, 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 the wrong, and this is what Ben and I have talked about, is when they're passing you. They're like, hey, good job, good job, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And you're like, that's the least encouraging thing you can say to me right now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, just stop. Don't say that to me. That, that, that does not help me right now. So, you know, we're going to talk about encouraging one another. And really, when we talk about, and as we're, we're looking, and my focus today is not going to be necessarily, I think, is what we typically think of as to encouraging one another, but I think reminding us of something that will help us yeah. to encourage one another. But before we do that, I wanted just to share a little bit about me. Um, I think many of you, you know who I am. I, I, I try to do my best to talk with everyone, but as a father of three, uh, it, it, sometimes you get pulled in many different directions and it's hard to focus. So I just wanted to introduce myself. I am actually um, the youngest of three, uh, three siblings. I was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. There are very few people that can say that. I mean, to say that I was born and raised in Charlotte, it's, it's a real transient city. Um, and then I actually went to school at the University of North Carolina um, and got a double major in business and political science. I said, I don't want to do law school. So um, I, I went, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you the story as to how I got um, into the role and into the job that I'm in now. But my wife and I, we actually started dating in high school. And, um, and so, you know, one of the funny things with Olivia here, um, one of the funny things that I didn't realize until she, she, she told me this uh, a, a little bit ago was I started dating Jennifer when Olivia was, I think, one. Whoa. But Olivia's, one of her, her first memory of me was the day that I asked Jennifer to marry me when she was six, right? You were six or? Yeah. So, you know, these five years um, of, of seeing her, like, you know, every day, and she didn't remember me until uh, that day, which is just a neat, a neat thought. But, um, <laughs> like, I could have, yeah, all for nothing. I was, I was trying to do a lot. Um, so, yeah, so, so one of the things that happened to me when I was in college, uh, you know, our senior year of school, uh, UNC, just like Clemson, they do a really good job is to try and help you find a job. And so I was very diligent about this. I, I, I actually got a job offer and accepted a job offer uh, in September of my senior year. So when you accept uh, a job offer, you stop interviewing. So I stopped interviewing completely. Um, and uh, it was actually going to have me moving to Dallas, Texas. I was going to be uh, doing, uh, I was going to be working for a company, going out and meeting people at construction sites. So I felt good about the opportunity, but I was to graduate on a Sunday. And on the Friday, I get a call from the company. You know, I had stopped interviewing. I get a call from the company, and they tell me, so Brent, um, we're going to have to push your start date back. And then the guy told me, he said, and by the way, you probably want to find another job. And I'm sitting here, you know, my, my hopes are crushed. Like, this is what I was planning on the entire time. So I spend that summer looking for another job and actually find um, a job with the company that I'm still working for now. And um, it was much, it's, it's a much better opportunity for me because I ended up in Raleigh. I worked for 10 months, lived in Cary, North Carolina, 
Jennifer was a year behind me, so she finished up her school. Um, and, and so we were able to, to stay close and, and, and to be able to stay um, uh, be able to stay local to each other, which was a good thing. Um, and then, as part of that job, I had to be relocated to anywhere in the, in the country. I mean, that, that was one of the stipulations. You have to be willing to go to Washington State. Um, and so when, we, when I finished the program, there were eight openings. And one of the openings was in Birmingham, Alabama, which at the time I was, I was you know, I, I wasn't too excited about Birmingham. But for me, it was local enough so that I, we could drive to Charlotte, which is where we were from, uh, and we could stay close with our family. So uh, we end up, we move to Birmingham, Alabama. And in a way that I look at, I just see how God was moving in that situation. Because it turns out we were two doors down from the leaders of the, our sister church in Birmingham. Uh, we were two doors down from them. And you know, they, they would reach out to us, try and ask us to come out to church. We would always you know, be like, yeah, sure. And you know, we'd, we went out to an Easter service. They, they brought their daughter to the door. And Jennifer answered it. And she said, I told her, yes, yeah, so we have to go. Um, so, but it, what, what's, what's neat is just even in talking about it, and I won't give you all of the details, but we, we looked at the same houses. We had the same uh, thoughts about it, me and the, the, the Robinsons, uh, the leader of the church in Birmingham. And it just, you look back on it, you're like, God was moving. And, and you know, I could have been in Dallas, Texas. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I never thought I'd be in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and it, it just, it reminds me and it encourages me of how God was moving um, in my life and in my situation. And then one of the other things that is a distinct memory of mine, and this really for me, you know, I grew up, I went to church, I went Sunday nights to, um, I, grew up, I grew up going to a church where they had youth groups. You know, I, I grew up going to church, but I really, I, I never sort of thought about things. But Jennifer and I were going from Birmingham to Charlotte. And depending on that trip, I mean, it could be anywhere from six hours to nine or ten hours. It just depends on Atlanta traffic. So I remember we had just gotten out of Atlanta traffic, and it was just it was it was one of those days where you know it's like five o'clock on a Friday afternoon rush, and I'm just frazzled, and Jennifer's just she's loving it because it's like you know you have ten hours of windshield time, and she just she wants to talk, and so um, so but she asked me a very distinct question, and she asked me she says do you think you are saved, and at that point. I had a thought in my mind. I was like, you know, I could either answer her truthfully or I could, uh, I could answer, you know, <laughs> just give her what I know she wants to hear. At that time, again, you know, I wasn't involved in a church. I wasn't, I wasn't looking at the Bible. I was unaware of this. And my response to her, I gave her the truthful answer. And I told her, I said, babe, I don't know. But if I had to tell you, I would tell you, no, I'm not. And the reason that I gave her is when I look around and I look at all of the different churches and I look at, at, at what everybody believes, I've got to think that there's, there's different opinions out there. Um, and I just wonder how much are they looking at the Bible? How much are they studying the Bible? And what are they doing and trying to do that? Like, I can't tell you what it means to be saved. 
That's what I thought. I was like, I don't know what it means. I don't know how you get saved. I don't know what that means. Everybody defines it differently. I don't know. And the part about it that was, I mean, looking back on it, it's a little scary. It's just, I didn't care. You know, it's it's like, I was just like, that's the way it is. I didn't, and I mean, I grew up, I read the Bible. When I was growing up, I read the Bible a lot. Um, I I, I would, I would read it at night. I would I get stuck in Leviticus a lot, but I, I, w- I would read it, and then, you know, I, but I didn't understand the application of it, and so fortunately for us, and I look back on it, I'm like, this was God, because it was such a distinct memory of mine, this was God working, um, and, you know, through a series of events, uh, we started studying the Bible, we learned, you know, just the call of discipleship, and for me, it was just so refreshing, it was just, it was, it was so helpful because I felt the word of God moving and I felt it being active um, in my life. And it was, it was really, really great. It was, it was really good. Um, and I just look back on it and I, as much as I want to try to explain it, I can't. It's just God, God moving in so many ways. And what I want us to think about today is for many of us, we have a story similar to that. Many of us have a story where we can look back and we can think about how is God moving in our life. Yeah. You know, most of us would not be in Clemson if it weren't for the church. Many it. of us wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the church. Do we think about that some? And so one of the things that I wanted just to share as to what I've been looking at and sort of what led me to, to think more about this and to consider more and ultimately want to share it with you guys is what I've been reading in the Bible recently. And so I just wanted to um, share, I, I've, what I've done is I've really taken some time just to look at the Gospels. And so I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then in each of those I've just written, or I, I've actually put a spreadsheet together that compares the stories of, uh, the different tellings of the stories, you know? Um, there's different ways that the uh, feeding of the 5,000 is told. There's, there's so many different, different iterations and variables. And for me, it's been very encouraging. I, I want to share one funny uh, part to, to it with you. See if we can, if I can move the slide forward. So, you know, we, many of us, are, I would say most of us know the story of how uh, Peter uh, or how Jesus was walking on the water. So when we look at Matthew 14, verse 25, and feel free, you, you can turn there. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You know, and, and then from here, this is where Peter, he comes out and he starts walking on water. So, but the part that I, the, the telling of this that I really enjoy is in, actually in Mark. Uh, it says, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. So the, the, the italicized part there is, is, is me. You know, that, that's, just, that, that's what I find so funny about this. I just picture a father who's sitting there and he's, he's listening to his kids argue. And he's like, should I step in now or not? Like, should I actually go, go there? You know, or should I just let them figure this out? And for me, the, the, the way that I read this was, I just, I can picture Jesus just walking on the water. 
And he's seeing the disciples and he's seeing like their lack of faith and he's seeing the fear in them. And then he's just like, oh, should I do it or not? You know, should I let them figure this out or not? Should I, should I help them? And then he just says, all right, I'm going to turn back around and I'm going to help them. So for me, as a father, I just find it amusing. And it's just one of these, one of these different instances here. Not, you know, it's not a significant, but for me, it's just something that I, I look at. And it's just, just something that I find to be um, just a, a, different, a different story uh, about it. So... Um, and I, I chuckled when I, when I actually sat and thought about it just for a minute. That, that was what went through my mind. A year or two ago, I probably wouldn't have thought that. I was just kept reading it. So, but the part of this that, that I, I've also given thought to is, and for many of us, you, know, you may consider what I'm about to say and say, well, yes, of course. But when you look at a map of Israel, and this is in, you know, in the New Testament, this is around Jesus' time, you know, the thought is that there were 700,000 people in Israel. Uh, just looking it up, that's what they thought, is there was 700,000. And then you look at all of the different cities here, you, and, and you consider, you know, where was Jesus going to begin his ministry? And, you know, you can see, I don't know if I have a, I don't think I have a laser, but um, you have, you know, Cana, uh, which is where he did his first miracle, but he goes to Capernaum. And, you know, the thing that I've thought about and I've considered is, like, why Capernaum? And, I mean, it's an innocent question. It's, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't know if, you know, I think if you look, and if you really look into it, you could, you could consider, you could find the reasons why, why Jesus started his ministry in Capernaum. But the next part about it that I looked at was Peter, how he met Jesus. And one of the neat things about it is, is when you look at the different stories— it, it, let's jump in. Everybody jump with me to Luke 4. Come on, buddy. That's good. <clears throat> Go to Luke 4, verse 38 and through 39. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now let's jump down to, our, we'll keep reading in verse 40. It says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. Let's jump to Luke 5 now. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So when I read this, the first thought that I had is, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus comes into your home, heals your mother-in-law, and that's not enough for you just to immediately say, God, I'm going to follow you? I, and, and then he heals other people. So I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, like, what's, what, what's the story of Peter? So let's jump to John. John 1. And you learn more about Peter as you look at this. And we're going to, John 1, verse 35. It says here, it says, The next day, John, and this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Um, and then let's jump to Matthew. Matthew 4. We're just going to look at Matthew um, for this example. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. So you can see there's, there's different instances of how Peter you know, ultimately became a disciple. You know, how, how he ultimately decided to follow Jesus. What's great about this and what, what I spent time thinking about and considering is that this is a story of Peter. And my story is different even from Jennifer's story with what she's shared about me. And as we look here in the Gospels, you read these different instances and you read just how things were moving in a way where you had Peter's brother you know, following John the Baptist, where you had Jesus coming into Peter's home and healing him, or healing his mother. 
And you just see the different miracles and the different things in Peter's life. And you realize this is the story of Peter. Uh, for me, I, I, when I read this, you know, some of some of you may look at it and say, well, hold on a minute. Like, uh, you know, which which one is is right here? You know, like, how, how, what's the angle here? And to me, the point of 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 these of these different scriptures is that you know, it's realizing this is how the story was told. Right. And for many of us, for for all of us, we have a story to tell. When I think about my life, and, I, and, and well, before that, when, when you look at Peter, and I look at Peter, and I consider this, and I think to myself, Peter, it's so obvious. You, know, you had 700,000 people in Israel at the time. Jesus chose to start his ministry in the town that you were living in. Jesus chose you. I look at that, and I'm like, man, that's encouraging. Yeah. I'm, I think about just the power of that, how God was moving in Peter's life. And then, so, you know, I think that, and then I look on the other side, and when I see Peter just do the knuckleheaded things that he does, I'm like, have you forgotten? You know, think about it. What has God done in your life? How did he move in your life? And he moved in your life in such a way. How could you not be encouraged? I mean, it makes what he does, um, to me, I mean, in, in my mind, it makes it even worse. You know, it's like, don't you see? But then I go to my life. And I think about, man, God has moved in ways that I cannot describe. God has blessed me so richly. I have three beautiful young kids. I have a wife who is so faithful, who loves me. But then I think about some of the decisions that I make, and I'm like, man, why am I such a knucklehead sometimes? What is wrong with me? Um, And so I lose my encouragement sometimes. And and so I want us, we're going to jump and look at um, a, uh, our, sort of the focus scripture for today, if you will, as we, we've been looking at Hebrews a lot. It's actually in Hebrews 3. And it's in verse 13. So it says here, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, I think when we when we have the conversation, and this is one of those scriptures, man, I look at and I say to myself, oof, I don't do that great. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think I sit and encourage people every day or help people. Um, and so I think about it, and I think we all, I think we could all agree that encouraging others is something that we want to do better at, or we want to do well at, something that we want to do good. Um, and so I, I don't think we have any argument with that, but w- what I... When looking at this scripture and considering the scripture, I read, I read around it some more. And, and to me, it really it brought home something, as we've just sort of talked about, that I think we need to spend some more time thinking about. So let's look in Hebrews 3 and verse 7. It says, uh, in verse 7, beginning of verse 7, it says, So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. 
So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So you, you, we read that and you sort of see what happens. What, you know, why would they not encourage other people? And you can read in verse 12, it says that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You know, I, I think, and, and what I want us to really consider today is you know, if you're not encouraged in your relationship with God, do you expect to be able to encourage other people? Yeah. And for us, hopefully we can give some thought as to what does that mean? What does it mean for me to be encouraged by God? You know, one of the things that I've shared with you is my story. Some of you may say, you know what, my, my story is, or, you know, sort of where I'm at, it, 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 I don't necessarily see it right now. But I encourage you, think about what does this mean? What does it mean for me to be encouraged by God? We're actually going to jump over and we're going to look at the, here specifically, what the writer of Hebrews is is referencing. So let's go to Exodus 17. You know, again, if you're not encouraged in your relationship with God, do you expect to be able to encourage other people? So in Exodus 17, we're going to look at verse, we're going to read verse 1 through 17 together. It says in verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? You know, it's funny. We, we've been, for the past two months, uh, our group has been doing uh, um, the kids' classes, and we've been focusing on Exodus. I mean, the theme in Exodus, this is, this is the Israelites, right? I mean, this is their story. They, they go, and they complain. They go, and then they complain. They go, and they complain. And it's amazing to me, and because you, you realize just what did God do to get them out of Egypt? I mean, God, uh, you know, ten plagues, he, I mean, just, yeah. you know, guided them, gave them Moses to come in and, and to help them. And it's, it's amazing to see how when they just get a little bit of, a, of adversity, they, they just panic. You know, it's like, oh, I want to go back. I want to go back. Take me back to Egypt. 
I mean, that's the theme throughout. You see, I want to go back. Even though things were so horrible there, I want to go back. Take me back to Egypt. That's where I belong. That's, it was better there. And one of the things that you know, I try to do with the kids whenever I'm talking to them is I try to make these stories relevant for them, right? I mean, you try to help them understand, okay, what is this teaching us about character? Um, what is this showing us about you know, who we are? And one of the things that I've really focused on is on comparing. Yo, the Israelites, there's many ways that they were comparing, right? I mean, you could say they were comparing um, outright to just other people who they thought had it better than them, who they felt like were, were more in God's favor or who had things better. But the part to this that I want us to think about today is, yo, what do we compare in our lives? And for me specifically, there's, there's some tendencies that I think we can find where we can compare our current situation just as the Israelites did, and we can compare, well, I had it better just last year, or I had it better two years ago, or don't you remember when it used to be this way? And we compare in a way that it, it can hurt our spirituality. You know, if we're not thankful for where we are, if we're not encouraged with where we are. We look at the past and we compare to the past in a way that is not, it's not healthy. Right. You know, it, we, we think about how I wish things were. You know, I mean, that's the theme that you get and you realize the Israelites, their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened because they kept comparing and kept thinking about how better it was in Egypt. Was it better in Egypt? No, <laughs> it wasn't. But, that, but for them at the time and their, and their refrains, this is what they say. Um, and so when, when I think about something for us just to consider with this, you know, we're talking about, and, and it's thinking about how am I encouraged? You know, what encourages me? And because you know, it's, it's what, we, what you read in Hebrews, and then as we look in Exodus, to me what strikes me is the Israelites, they lost their encouragement. They forgot everything that God had done for them. And they actually use what God had done for them in a way that hurts them and, and, and impacted their spirituality. You know, it's fun, to me, when I think of this, and, and I, it, it's an awareness from, from my perspective that um, I find myself saying, and I, I hear us saying um, in conversations, you know, and, and it's, it's when we think about how, how many times do we say something of like, well, I love blank, but, and then you say something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love Clemson, but, and then you typically compare it to something, right? Compare it to another church, compare it to, um, compare it to another town, compare it to another place. So for me, I think it's something that we need to start becoming more aware of, is how do we compare our current situation with past situations? Are we, are we looking at, at things in a way where we, we, we look in the past more fondly? Are we, we, we look for a time more fondly? I, it's like, I mean, guys, for me, the thought about it is, okay, you know, like I love family group, but. I love group of three times, but. It's like, what do we think about it? And what are we using for those types of comparisons? And, and I just, I, I use that phraseology. I think, you know, there's definitely a part where you need to have conversations and you need to share things 
Um, but I think part of the reason why we feel like we need to say it that way is because we're not encouraging each other before that time. It's like we feel obligated. We need to say these things because if we, it, we haven't done it enough. Just something for us to be thinking about. I want to look at a few scriptures here. In Romans 15, verse 4, Let's, let's jump there. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know, I mean, I, I think it's important for us to be reminded. We need to look at the scriptures, to yeah. be reminded of the stories in the scriptures, to find out how can that help us? How can that bring us hope? Um, another example, in Philippians 4, verse 12, says, I have learned the secret um, of being content in, in any situation. It's, it's important for us. And, you know, if we, we think of this, um, and you know, we are not that different from the Israelites. Yeah. We're just not. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I try and help the kids understand is, is you know, this is our mentality if we let it be that way. Yep. If we're not focused and if we're not thinking, if we don't find encouragement from God with everything that he's doing in our lives, yep. um, we're going to have trouble being content. We're going to have trouble finding that in any situation. And again, I think part of this, some of you may say, this is, I'm in a different place right now. Uh, I, I don't feel encouraged. It's one of those with Greg in the room. I, I, I love one of the things that Greg really helped push us with a few years ago is it, it, there's conversations that we have about what are the gifts that we have. And many of us, it's like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what my gifts are. You know, it's like that, that's a thought that we have. And I think in the same way, if when you think of how does God encourage you and you don't know the ways that God, that you're encouraged with God's relationship, that you feel God moving in your life, that's something I would encourage you. Give some thought to. Consider it even more. And in Proverbs 14, verse 30, this is a scripture that, that um, you know, we really spend a lot of time talking with the kids about. Um, because it, it, things can get disruptive real quick, but it's a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. That's how we say it to, the, to them. So, you know, this just helps to remind me of, of how we need to find peace. We need to find that encouragement with God. When we begin comparing in, in any way that, that you are, that's what starts to rot your bones. That, that's where you find, uh, you find yourself um, getting off course. And, and so, you know, with, with the focus and looking at Hebrews 3 and considering just how, the, how it's written as to, we need to encourage one another, but you realize even more the example is that the, the reference here is how the Israelites their hearts were darkened. And, and so I do, I, I encourage us as we think about this, you know, what are those things that you compare, uh, compare to? I think one of the great things that I've had some conversations with Keith about that he's helped is for many of us, we, we, 
we are finite, I mean, we have finite resources, right? So we have 24 hours in a day. Uh, there's only one of me. Um, and, and so I cannot do everything that I want to be able to do. Yeah. Uh, I just can't um, because I have, I, mean, I work, I have three kids, uh, I have my wife. It's like, I, but again, I want to do so much and I want to try and do so much, but we get, we can get off track because we forget sometimes there's a cost to the decisions that we're making. Yeah. We're not able to do everything that we're able to do. I mean, as a campus student, you're not, you don't have as much time as you probably did when you were in high school. You know, as married couples, you don't have as much time as you did when you were single, newly married. As married with kids, you don't have as much time as you did when you were not married. That's so obvious, right? I mean, that's so plain. Let me tell you a time, I mean, when we moved to Clemson, I was, I got upset and it, it was something that I had trouble processing because when I was in Birmingham, our time with the Robinsons, it was so fluid. I mean, it was free. It was like, we were two doors down from, we could just go, go down, we could go visit with them. It was so easy to connect with them. When we moved to Clemson, we had three kids. But it took me, it took me months to process, well, wait a minute, like, I have a job that I have to travel in, so I'm, I'm not home nearly as much. I have three kids now. We just moved. Things here are not going to be like they were there. Yeah. But boy, I mean, you know, for a while there, I was, I, it, 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 yeah. it had an impact yeah. on me, right? Yeah. And I, I, I feel like there's an awareness that we need yeah. to build personally and mature to think about this. And I, I, I talk about it specifically when we're talking about comparing. I mean, I think so often it's like, oh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember when, you know, we were able to do this, and I wish we could do it like, like what I used to do it. Well, guess what? Where you are right now is right where God wants you to be. Yeah. You are where you're supposed to be, and you're in the situation you're supposed to be, wow. and it's, you're maturing. Yeah. You are maturing. And so I encourage us, let's not just think about how you wish things were. Let's understand. Let's grow in this. Let's consider. What does this mean? Um, you know, I, I mean, when you read the book of Exodus, you read it in such a way that, I mean, I, I think part of it is it's written so cleanly. It's written so crisply. I mean, it's just stated so exact. And you're like, yes, that's right. That's their problem. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're comparing. Yes. And, you know, but with our own lives, and we don't, it's, it, we make it so much more complicated. I mean, you know, I, I just wish sometimes like, it would just be, whoop, yep, that's what's wrong with you. Um, or that's what's wrong with your thinking. So I just, I encourage us, let's, let's give it thought. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it, you know? I mean, do you realize where you are? Do you realize how you're in a different stage of life or what things are? Do you find yourself doing this? Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it's the realities of where you are in life. It's part of growing. It's part of maturing, and I have to be reminded sometimes of it. Um, just you know, that's that's what my wife is great for. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to share another scripture or another point here that I, I want us to give thought to. You know, when you read in Exodus, <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back here. You know, what's distinct about what happens in chapter 17 is this is the first time that you read about 
the Israelites quarreling directly with Moses. Before this, that you just heard them arguing with Moses and, and you know, sort of saying, oh, I wish we could do this, or what, why, you know, why aren't we doing this? But this is quarreling, so it's a level, it's escalated. The conversation and, and the dialogue with Moses is escalated. So they're specifically quarreling with Moses, which, I mean, it's just, it's a level of intensity to their conversation and to their argument that hasn't been there before. Um, and the part of this that I want us to think about is so often, I think we can fixate on the leaders. We can fixate on, oh, you know, like, these are the things, I, I wish I was growing more. I feel like I'm not being challenged. You know, I really wish that, um, you know, uh, I could be in a place where they would nurture me to be a leader of the church. It's, I mean, do, do you see where the focus is on that? It's like they're looking to Moses. They were. And I think we, as people, we can look to the leaders and put our problems on the leaders. We can quarrel with the leaders. And we may not, again, it, it may not be something where it's so direct and we're looking at it, we're like, oop, choop, boop. You're like, yes, that's, that, that's my problem. But how are we thinking about problems? You know, do we, do we look at our problems and do we, th- do we think about, you know, if I feel like I'm not growing or if I feel like I'm not doing well spiritually, do I own that? Wow. Or do I find somebody else to blame? Whether that's your group of three leader, I mean, you know, I think we can easily think about point to the, like, oh, well, Keith and Abby, but think about, do you, do you look at your group of three leader? Mm-hmm. Say, you know, if we were doing things differently, I'd be doing better. Wow. Or if we, if you, do you think about your, your family? If we were doing this, I would be doing better spiritually. Things for me would be so much better. Um, and so I, the, the fixation here of the Israelites and how when they're not doing well spiritually, who do they go to? Who do they fixate their problems on? They go to Moses. Wow. And I, I, I just, I encourage us as we start thinking about it, and especially as we start doing this comparing but. It's like, I love our group of three time, but... Or I love family group, but I mean, do we find ourselves saying that? Sometimes we may say that outwardly. Sometimes we may say that inwardly. Um, but just for us to be thinking about these things, wow. for us to give, to give thought to it. And I mean, you know, really for me, the part that I, I find myself struggling in and when I find myself having some of these thoughts is when I lose sight of what God has done in my life. I mean, I appreciate what Ian yeah. shared as to, to how you realize just what God, what Jesus is doing, how, he, how Jesus went to the cross for our sins. I mean, just to even think about that. We cannot be any closer to God than we are now. And, and for me, when I stop thinking about that, when I lose my encouragement, when I lose my focus of everything that God has done for me, I'm not much different than the Israelites. I'm not much different than when Peter, you know, denounces Jesus three times in, you know, what, like a 12, 24-hour period. I'm not much different than that. And for us to start thinking about that and to just consider, if I want to encourage others, if that's what I want to do, and I think we all do, I think that's something we all feel like, do I find encouragement in my relationship with God? Do you find encouragement with that? And I, I encourage you to go and 
and consider that. Think about that. Pray about it. What has God done? I mean, it's one of those things that it sounds sounds so simple, and it's it sounds so plain. But really, we get so caught up in the race, we get so caught up with everything that we're doing, we stop thinking about it. We lose a perspective, and we lose an appreciation for the power of Jesus.